Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world the, and the things you should know about it. Um, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined, as always, by, with, well, I don't know what word I'm going to use, with Thomas. <laughs> Hi. And AJ. That's, that's me. Are you okay? Well, you guys got distracted because you were pointing at me. Well, yes. AJ uh, pointed at me because he thought I was doing the intro, and then it just kicked off a pointing fest. Sorry. Anyway. Um, Which you can see on YouTube. If you watch it on the YouTube, yeah, you can YouTube. see why why I couldn't figure words. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> so, today's episode is coming to you live in a giant teapot. Uh-huh. And I've wondered, why am I sitting in this giant teapot? And then I realized, we're doing the Tempest. Tempest in a teapot. What's what is about a teapot? Tempest in a teapot. It's, a, it's, a, it's an idiom. Where? Where? The, it's English an American English. English idiom. Storm in a teacup is the British English one. What does that mean? What is it? In what context would I use? A small event that has been exaggerated out of proportion. Mm. I don't know. if Is that what you want to call us, Graham? I don't know if I like that. So, <laughs> that is definitely what we are. <laughs> I'm not, I'm yeah, not I don't know that you, there is a better descriptor <laughs> of our podcast. Is something, a something small, small that has been over. Actually, I don't think we've even been blown out of proportion. We just haven't even been like exploded <laughs> no, no at all. Anyway, yeah, exactly. no proportion. We're just the temp. We're just a teacup or teapot, rather. Good. Correct. We're just an empty teacup. Empty teacup. Nothing going on. Um, No, Hanneberg. You have often talked about how you want to read the complete works of Shakespeare, and I assume that the fact that we are talking about the Tempest today is because you've you've set sail on this voyage. It's a start. Or finished them. Have Mm -hmm. you finished all of them? No, I have not. You would no. You would start with A, right? So as you like it. We're not T. No, this one's div- This book is divided into tragedies, comedies, histories. Oh, I see. Like in different sections. So are you just reading them in like, yeah. How, how are you going through them? Like I, Tempest is the first one. I'll be honest. I needed an episode. Okay. And I just, I, I wanted to pick something and then, and reading the Shakespeare's Shakespeare's plays has always been a thing. So uh-huh. I flipped open the table of contents and looked at the available plays and the Tempests was one that I have always, I think I read it back in high school or watched a movie. I was very confused by it. It seemed like a total flipping mystery to me. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, Hey, maybe I should bring my 36 year old eyes back to this one and see Uh if I can see more than I saw when I was, I don't know, a sophomore in high school or whatever it was. Fun fact. I've never read it. Really? I know it was a grouchy wizard and that's about it. Oh man. That, I think this is going to make things more fun. How much do you know about the Tempest? It's probably been since high school also, so I, I don't remember very much at all. Oh, you guys. Be great. You're gonna do, yeah, this you, might be way more way more exciting than I thought <laughs> it was going to be. I thought I was going to be telling you stuff you guys already knew. Definitely nope. not. Okay, then this will promise to you be a little bit exciting. the very edge of my knowledge. Wow. All right, great. And my knowledge is only <laughs> partial. I mean, I just read it and uh-huh. did, did some research. So if you've been a long time Tempest acolyte and you've read it mm. 37 times. You absolutely know more, more than I do. This is great. Uh, this is not the podcast for you. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, maybe, <laughs> I mean, if you, if you can listen, if you Please want to listen, yeah. um, right. I might have some interesting things to tell you that cool. I've gathered from some notes and some things. So classical stuff, cracking eggs and knowledge. Here we go. The Tempest. Uh, it was obviously a play by William Shakespeare and I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, time talking about old Bill, I'm thinking about doing a podcast on him specifically as a person and as a man sometime in the future. Oh, he was married to Anne Hathaway. Yes, yes. he was married Not to Anne Hathaway. Not Henry VIII. Yes. And his son was named Hamnet. <laughs> Didn't Hamnet die? Hamnet did die. Yeah, so sad. But he ended up wealthy. He had a good, you know, start in school. And there are a lot of legends about him as a person that aren't necessarily true. Eventually, his troop of actors became patronized by the king. 
and he made some really good investments and retired a wealthy man with a lot of land. Good and he is not buried in the Westminster Abbey, even though there is a small floor tile devoted to him. He's buried in Stratford-upon-Avon, I think, where he was born. Oh. So that's Shakespeare. He did a lot of writing. <laughs> and turns out I, I'm you know, going to try to read a lot of it. Sure. And this is The Tempest. Yep. It is from the folio of 1623. Uh, we know that that's probably when roundabouts when this came out. And do you, so what do you guys know about The Tempest? Like basic knowledge. That sounds late. 1620. Yeah, it is, it is later in his life. Yeah. Grumpy wizard. That's all yeah, I know. That's what. There's, yeah. a, there's like a boat that. Crashes. Do you know anything? Doesn't a boat crash and um, but they? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. All right, we'll brave get. New, oh, brave new world that there uh-huh. are such people in it. That's okay, I, we'll get to we'll get to that. I'm wondering, do you know where the story came from? Nope. Nope. I always believed that this was one of the very few that Shakespeare came up with himself. Right. He he plagiarized a lot of his stuff. Right. right? He stole in in reading Plutarch's lives. He heisted most of Julius Caesar almost directly from that and just sort of recolored it and made it his own. Mm -hmm. And obviously he, he did a lot of wonderful things with it. But the story wasn't his. Same with Romeo and Juliet. It was Pyramus and Thisbe. And there there are uh, Othello is also stolen from a a text. He just kind of zoinked a lot of ideas. And I thought this one was an original, and that's what made it so strange. Turns out, I don't think it's an original. So I will give you the basic plot and the characters and stuff, and then we'll have a little chat about where they think this may have come from, and then we'll have a little chat about basic meanings and deeper meanings of the play. Okay. First, do you know what genre this is? Tragedy or comedy? It starts crappy and ends happy. So comedy. comedy. Okay, so you do know it ends happy. I think you said that. <clears throat> Did I really? I think you said it before the episode started. I was hoping to... I mean, I remember this being a comedy. <laughs> I was hoping to keep you guys in suspense during it because that's one of the things is if you... I think if you're seeing it for the first time, it's unclear exactly where it's going to go, hmm. which is something I liked about this. Most comedies are really obvious. I didn't know what this would end up being. Maybe it's just because I'm bad at detecting drama and comedy and you know knowing Shakespeare. Wait, did you say that your book that you're reading from is split into drama and comedy? Into tragedy, comedy, and history. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, so The Tempest opens up with a storm. And there's a boatswain who is basically trying to run his ship and keep it from being run aground on this island that they are near. And the king... Uh, hold on, let me pull up my, my names here. The king Alonzo, who's the king of Naples... His brother, or sorry, his son, Ferdinand, his brother, Sebastian, uh, Antonio, who is the current Duke of Milan, and Gonzalo, an old counselor, and some other lords are all kind of hanging out in this boat. And so they all come up on deck to find out what's going on because of this crazy storm. And the boatswain starts laying some sass on him. He's like, what are you doing? Get under decks. And they're like, what are you talking about? He's the king. He's like, I don't care if he is the king. We'll all be dead. Doesn't matter what his state is. If he can keep me from drowning, he can stay. If he's not going to keep me from drowning, he goes below decks. You are in the way. And they're like, what you are saying is treasonous. He's like, treason or not, pull a rope or go away. Right. Which is fantastic fun as a way to start this thing. And they're like, man, this guy's going to get himself hanged, which means that he probably won't be drowned, which oh. is a good indicator for how this is going to go. Like, right. we'll probably survive since this guy is so fit to be hanged, mm. right? And that's the first scene, is just we know that there's this horrible storm coming. And it sort of sets up their their plight. Scene two, we come to know this guy named 
Prospero. And Prospero is a magician. He's the grumpy magician you described previously. And he's talking with his daughter, Miranda. And Miranda sees this ship and she's like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. I see this ship going down. Like these people are in desperate trouble. I've cried my eyes out. And if this is your doing this, this thing, like, I I don't see how this is just, he's like, it's okay. Everything is working to my plan. No one is going to be hurt. Not a, not a single person drowned. It's okay. Do you know who we are? Like, what do you remember about your birth, Miranda, my daughter? And she's like, uh, (laughs) not a lot. Well, I mean, I guess remember about your birth is probably the wrong way to phrase that. But remember, remember about your early life. And she says, I remember I have, I don't know four or five women who tended me, but that's about all I remember. And I don't remember anything beyond that. And he's like, that's amazing that you remember that. You were right. like three years old when we came here. Is there anything else down in the deep recesses of your memory that you have? And she says, no, not a thing. And he reveals, and this sort of sets up the action of the whole play, that he used to be the Duke of Milan. And he began to study magic. And he got so into his books and his studies of nature and magic and wizardry and basically let his brother, uh, Antonio, Antonio, Sebastian. Yeah. Antonio, the usurping Duke of Milan, he, he kind of let him run things. And so Antonio got to make all the decisions and he got to know all of the other Lords and he became the one that everyone went to for counseling. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the Duke, but he was essentially acting Duke because. Cause Prospero was book learning. Prospero right. was busy diving Magic. into his books and he gotcha. didn't really catch it. And then eventually Antonio thought, well, you know what? I can just sort of like, why am I paying homage to this right. guy in his library? He's not doing anything. I might as well just be the acting Duke, like right. take over. This seems like straight out of your print, uh, the Prince episodes, right? You can't have someone who's smarter than you. Who's, um, <laughs> who's, who's position, running right? everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, or else they'll eventually just take over. So he hooks up with Alonzo, the king of Naples. And at night, Alonzo shows up with his army and Antonio opens the gates and Alonzo and Antonio come and basically oust Prospero. Treason. Yep, treason. They put him on this boat with his daughter and there's this counselor who thought well to put some food on there. And he and his daughter ran aground on this island by themselves in the middle of nowhere, right? So where are the ladies who attended him? Attended her come from? She remembered being the Duchess. Oh, back in Milan. Way oh, back in this Milan. Is, there wasn't like ladies attending her on the island. No, oh, she's just gotcha, a gotcha, just gotcha. an island person. And, but they do have lots of sundry bits that would accompany it. Like he's got his clothes, and they've been able to furnish themselves okay. Like that stuff was put on the boat. And he's a wizard, right? And he's a wizard. I mean, that, there's yeah. that benefit, sure. Yeah. And in talking, somehow he puts her to sleep. Oh, it's kind of unclear. <laughs> he enchants her. She passes out, and he's like, "All right, daughter." And a couple of times he keeps on having to ask her, like, are you paying attention? And I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's kind of unclear whether he intentionally puts her to sleep or whether she just gets oh. bored of the story and falls asleep. <laughs> right. She's awful, awful innocent, this Miranda person. Poor girl. And then after she goes to sleep, this spirit named Ariel comes up. And Ariel, it's unclear exactly what kind of spirit he is. He's might be an air spirit, might be a water spirit, could be a fire spirit. But apparently he went out to the boat, pretended to be St. Elmo's fire. Do you guys know what St. Elmo's fire is? Most of our listeners might. It is an astronomical phenomenon, I believe. No, it is. It, uh, I don't know what it is. It's like a little flame that shows up on the top of your mast. Yes. And sometimes in three places, sometimes in one, sometimes it grows. And he's like, I was doing that. I was being fire and I was freaking everybody right out. And I made them think all kinds of horrible things were happening. But That's funny. 
Everything's fine. Mm-hmm. I did my job well. Um, the boat is in tip-top shape. I've mm-hmm. stowed it in a cove over here, safe from the storm, and it's probably more seaworthy now than it was when I found it. Like, I've, you know, helped put it back together. The king, his brother, your brother, and all of those attendants have been split off from the group, mm-hmm. and I, I've made sure they're totally, totally okay. In fact, their clothes look fresh dyed. Oh, like, yes. they, they're in, they they're are looking, looking better, better yeah. than they left the port. And then there's uh, Ferdinand, mm-hmm. the king's son, is off on his own and he's heading here. Okay. Right. And so he's kind of split up, split them up into each little group. So they are more easily dealt with rather than being all in one group. And Prospero wanted all this to happen. Prospero wanted all of this to happen. And more than that, everyone else thinks that each other have died. Mm. Right. So the king thinks he has lost his son. Ferdinand Mm. thinks he has lost the king. Right. And all of the sailors are passed out below decks on their boat. Right. Ariel has enchanted them. They're all toast. And so that is kind of exactly what Prospero wanted. Everything is going exactly according to plan. Okay. And we find out that Ariel um, was a spirit that used to be here long ago when there was a witch who came to the island. Now, this is also where we're introduced to Caliban. Mm. Um, Caliban is like a, oh man, half-formed monster creature. And he is the son of the evil witch Sycorax. Which is the coolest witch name, name I have ever heard, and I want to name a cat Sycorax because it only seems fitting. It's a great name. But apparently, Sycorax was a witch in Algiers and was pregnant when they banished her to this island because they were sort of done with her witching. And so they said, you're out of here, witch. Mm. And she got here, gave birth to Caliban, her son. Mm. And then because Ariel would not do her bidding, her, her evil bidding, mm. right? She couldn't command him to do horrible things. Right. She decided to imprison him in a split tree and then leave him there. Poor guy. And then she died. So Caliban's been stuck in a tree? No, Ariel was stuck in a tree. tree. Caliban's fine. He's evil and and his mom was evil and they were having a great time until the mom kicked it. And Ariel was, got imprisoned in a tree. So when Prospero came on the scene, he freed Ariel. And so now Ariel serves him under condition that he will eventually be freed. Hmm. Right. And he reminds Prospero of this earlier in the play. He says, you remember you told me You're gonna a year me. or two of service. And yeah. I, he's like, listen, man, after today, about six hours more, mm-hmm. like you serve me well for the next couple of days. And I will, I promise I will free you. Okay. And he even reminds him of where he came from. That it's, it's a nice little way to give us some backstory. Mm-hmm. And Caliban is a twerp. He's horrible. He lives under a rock and, and Prospero has to kind of get him going with threats, you mm-hmm. know, like you're going to have cramps and you'll be pinched and, little urchins will plague you and you'll have all these problems. And he's like, you're the worst master ever. And he's like, I'm, I'm actually pretty good. And he's like, no, you live in that really nice place. And I, he, he calls it mm-hmm. the cell. And I live here in this nasty rock. And he's like, no, you lived with me right. until you threatened to rape my daughter. Oh. And he's like, ah, I wish I would have too. I would have been tiny little calibans all over the place. And he's oh like, gosh. so he doesn't even react well. Right. And he says, I also taught you human language. And he's like, yeah, now I use it to curse you. And so clearly... <laughs> Prospero made efforts with Caliban right. to turn him into a kind of a civilized being, but Caliban still has the witchy in him and right. cannot get out of his evil nature. Right. So he's a pretty bad dude. Right. So Prospero kind of has to move him along with threats, but it becomes clear that Prospero is ruling this whole place. This whole island is under Prospero's control. Okay. He is the wizard atop the the mountain, right? He runs it all. And did Prospero intend to go to this island or he just, again, he gets kicked out of the city in the first place. They he, were lucky to land on they, it okay, yeah. because it, it afforded them some, some refuge. Sure. All right. So that's the, that's the setup is we have all these people. And then Ferdinand kind of wanders up 
And he's like, oh, dang. This Miranda girl. Mm. She cute. She cute. Mm. And then Prospero's like, ah, it's it's good that they like each other. <laughs> we don't, It's not quite revealed why yet. Right. But he's like, it's good that they like each other, but I can't make it too easy. So he says... Uh, you, you're a usurper. He like he starts accusing Ferdinand of just some some random nonsense, and Miranda, awake by this time, is like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> and then Ferdinand to has to defend himself, so he draws his sword, and Prospero bewitches him and says, "You'll put that sword down." And Ferdinand's like, "Well, yep, my muscles aren't working, so that clearly there's that." So he basically gives Ferdinand this task of moving a giant giant pile of logs. That's what okay. he has to do: is move logs, and okay. then. Maybe he'll hook him and Miranda up later. We, the audience, know that he likes that Miranda and Ferdinand are falling for each other, right. but it's unclear why. And but he's not going to make it too easy, right? Love too easily won is, you know, not regarded with high eyes. Does that make sense? Sure. Mm-hmm. Does, Ferdin- right. does Ferdinand start moving the logs? Does oh yeah, he, okay. he's he's happy to just be around Miranda. Okay, he's just hanging out, doing his thing. Okay. That was scene two, scene two of Act oh, One. Wow. It was. It's a huge scene. Right. It makes up a big chunk, and it lays kind of the groundwork for the whole play. All right, scene two. We flip back to. I'm going to call them the boys, but this is the King of Naples, mm-hmm. his brother Sebastian, uh, Antonio, the usurping Duke of Milan, and Gonzalo, who I've affectionately named Gonzo. This wonderful old counselor who's kind of doddering and honest, but mm-hmm. nobody really takes him seriously. So Antonio is the brother of Prospero. Yes, honest. Antonio okay. is the the evil Duke of Milan. Gotcha. Right, he's kind of a turd. <laughs> hmm. All right, with me so far? Yes. Yep. Okay, great. So we we zoom in on these guys, and it becomes clear that Gonzalo is is an old counselor, but nobody really takes him seriously. Sebastian and Antonio are always joking about him and making fun of him. And they're like, ah, oh, well, his wit is growing. Eventually he'll use it on us. And they just Dang. mock him. Poor guy. And he, he has this interesting passage. I'll, I'll go find it here. Evil Witch Sycorax. Okay, so... It, as they're sort of walking up on the island, and by the way, this play takes takes place over the course of about three hours. The the timing of the play is is about the timing in the play, right? Mm. It's it's different from most of Shakespeare's plays where it covers a huge, you know, area and there are a lot of different locations mm. and the time period is several weeks or days. This is about three hours. There's even right. a few references to it in the play that it, it's a really short affair, and weirdly, not a lot happens. And is it all in the same location also? Um, yeah, it's all on the island. And so, I mean, different... there are different chunks of the yeah, island, okay. but but yeah. So let's see. Gonzalo talks, starts talking about... <laughs> is that how you read... Again, listener, you can't see this. It's like, it's the collected works, works of Shakespeare. It's a giant book. Is this the book you read from? To, yeah. Like, this is hilarious. It's Sorry. a big, it's a silly big book. I'm just imagining you going to like a coffee shop and just like plopping that thing down. It's, I feel so important when yeah, I read it. Exactly. I love it. Yeah, seriously. I could have read it on my Kindle. Nope. Nah, I like this yeah. better. So Gonzalo starts talking about like, hey, if, you know, if I owned this island, I, the Commonwealth, I would by contraries execute all things for no kind of traffic would I admit, no name of magistrate. Letters should not be known, riches, poverty, and use of service, none. Contract, succession, born, bound of land, tilth, vineyard, none. No use of metal, corn, or wine, or oil, no occupation, all men idle, all. And women too, but innocent and pure. No sovereignty, to, the, to which Sebastian, brother of the king, says, yet he would be king on it. 
And then Antonio, the latter end of his commonwealth, forgets the beginning. Gonzalo continues on. All things in common nature should produce without sweat or endeavor. Treason, felony, sword, pike, knife, gun, or need of any engine would I not have. But nature should bring forth of its own kind all foison, all abundance to feed my innocent people. Uh, so Gonzalo says, I would with such perfection govern, sir, to excel the golden age. So he has this idea that he would run this island as almost a, a new Eden, right? right? A new paradise, a new golden age of man, which I think is going to come into play to our conversation later. They disregard him and they correctly point out like, you are governing an island where there is no government. Like mm, he he's, he says, I will have none of these things and yet I will rule. Right. And, and there seems to be that self-contradiction. Anyway, they walk and they joke a little bit and talk about their plight and the loss of the the prince. And then the king and Gonzalo fall asleep, bewitched for some reason. There is some some sort of spell that causes them to fall asleep. And while they're sleeping, Antonio, the usurping Duke of Milan, encourages Sebastian, brother of the king, to kill his brother what? and take the crown. What? So I mean, I, usurpers usurp. This is he's just doing what he's he knows. just doing his nature. He's I like, guess. look, man, the king is asleep. Everyone thinks we've died in this shipwreck. Right. If you've ever had an opportunity to take the crown, it's now. Right. Your sister, or sorry, uh, is it the, the the next in line for the crown would be the daughter, and she's been married to somebody in Africa, and so you like, is she going to retread all that land back? No, it's right. it's easy to take the crown now, and so they pull out their swords and they're going to do it, and this is when Ariel. It's, you know, his doing, obviously. Right. Kind of wakes the king up, and the king's like... <laughs> What's going on? Hey, boys, yeah. uh, why got your swords out there? And they're yeah. like, oh, we heard a noise. There's like a lion or something around here. I don't know. You, you guys didn't hear it? And the king's like, oh, I don't gosh. know. I guess I heard something. Okay. And they're like, yeah, well, I've well, got to watch out for lions, I guess. We'll keep these swords handy. And he's like, all right, check checks out. <laughs> okay. It's kind of a silly excuse. But um, he, Alonzo believes them? Yeah, Alonzo okay. does believe them. Okay, any questions or comments so far? Nope. Is, is Gonzalo awake at this point also? Yep, Gonzalo also awoke. Okay. Um, and then we have another group we meet. So Caliban meets Trin- Trinculo, a jester, and Stefano, who is a drunk butler. And in any comedy, I guess, there's always like the silly comic relief. Mm-hmm. These boys are the silly comic relief. Okay. And so Trinculo is walking along and he finds, Caliban sees him coming. And he's like, maybe if I just like play dead, he won't notice me. So Caliban kind of passes out and the storm's all around. So Trinculo's like, well, I got to find some shelter somewhere. So he kind of climbs under the cloak with Caliban. <laughs> and then the drunk butler walks up and he's like, oh man, what kind of weird monster is this? It's got four legs and four arms and two heads. And man, I should take this back and make a sideshow out of it. So he gets really excited. That's funny. And he's like, I got to wake it up. What if I pour some booze in its mouth? So he pours booze in one mouth and he's like, oh, I didn't quite do it. How about the other mouth? So he starts pouring some in that one and... <laughs> Everybody wakes up, Trinculo and Stefano recognize each other, and Caliban swears to serve them if he can only get more booze. Oh, okay. All right, so that's kind of set up their relationship. So we have our few groups. We got Prospero, uh, Ferdinand, and Miranda, Uh Ariel, who is his servant flitting around, and we've got Caliban and these two doofuses who are are lucky enough to find some of the stranded booze and are drinking themselves silly with it. They got bottles all over the place. And then you've got the king his brother, some lords in the attendance, and Gonzalo. Yes. Right. Guys tracking with all the groups? Tracking. Yes. Great. All right, I might speed speed through these next little bits, because weirdly, there's just... There's not, like, any great movements of political anything. Okay. Anyway, that's, that's uh, Act 2. Act 3, 
Ferdinand and Miranda declare their love <laughs> for each other as he stacks logs. Okay. Um, yeah, it was great. coming. Yeah. yeah, she declares she will be his servant. Like, I will serve you even if you don't love me. And he's like, well, pff, lucky I love you then. And they're like, we should get married. It's okay. like that. Indeed, we should. Perfect. I just got to move these logs first. She's like, I'm, I'd help you move them. He's like, I'd rather die. <laughs> so, so Is Prospero there? Does he see them declaring their love? I think he's actually okay. hiding in the bushes at this point, if Wonderful. I remember correctly. And he's like, nice. <laughs> it's coming along just as I want. Perfect. So they are, they are falling for each other. I mean, she's never seen another man. Right. And I think this is even pointed out to her. And she's like, well, I mean, he's, he's pretty nice, though. Okay. And I think Prospero even at one time says like, yeah, but if you go back to Italy, guys that look like Ferdinand are like Caliban to the other guys. Mm-hmm. Like there are some beautiful dudes out there. I think he's just lying because I think Ferdinand is a good looking prince. Right. Anyway, I think it's funny that Miranda, the first boy she sees other than her father, she's like, yeah, it's I love. love. I'm yeah. into it. And he is quickly convinced that she is the absolute pinnacle of virtue be kind of like at the same moment he learns her name. Right. So, you know, yes. really good relationship things happening here. Sure. Um, it's love, AJ. It's love. Mm, that's right. We, we flash back to Caliban and his two doofuses mm. and he becomes convinced that these guys are his ticket out of Prospero's sure. rule. And he's like, look, I know when Prospero falls asleep, we can walk up to him when he's sleeping. You can knock a nail into his head and then you guys will be in charge and I will be your bootlicker. Like I will serve you forever. I'll show you where all the crabs are. I'll show you where all the good food is. Like I know this island back in front. Uh-huh. I can get you all the good stuff. And they're like, that is a plan. I love it. I'm super into it. Let's drink some and then we'll go and we'll kill this, kill this Prospero fellow. And so they're, they're into it. And obviously Ariel hears it. Yes. And he starts causing confusion among them, even as they come up with the plan. Like he just goes liar. And then another one's like, you call me liar. And they kind of yell at each other. And then Ariel determines to guide them through brambles and (sighs) thickets and swamps as they try to affect their cause of treason. Perfect. Right. So we have, a few treason plots happening right, yes, here, right? Exactly. We got Sebastian trying to kill the king. We got uh, Caliban and his buddies trying to kill Prospero. And then we also have the way back when, when Prospero was usurped by his brother. So there, it seems to be a theme, right. right? It keeps on popping up. Okay, so while Sebastian and Antonio continue to plot their things, right? Their, their idea, like they're kind of all walking together and Sebastian and Antonio are like, look, we made this decision. We just got to wait for the next right moment. We'll make this thing happen. Um, and then all of a sudden there's this big magical feast that appears. And then it's all set and all the guys are like, what is happening? Right. And then Ariel comes down dressed like a harpy and says, you guys are treasonous. You guys are all devils and we hate you. And then the food vanishes and so does Ariel. And they're just mm. like, this is a weird island. <laughs> sure. Uh, people would not believe what things are happening. I don't know what's real anymore. Everyone's generally confused. And Prospero says, yes, I have them in my power. I don't know what the whole purpose of that was. Maybe just to set them, set them off their feet a little bit. Right. It's kind of to, unclear about yeah. the progress. Yeah, strange. And that's act three. Okay. Act four, Prospero gives Ferdinand and Miranda, who are now pretty much betrothed to be married, he says, there will be no sexy times. Like, you have got to keep it to yourself until you are married. Is that cool? And Ferdinand is like, I am ever virtuous. And he's like, yeah, well, promises are the fuel to a fire, if you know what I mean. So, you know, you guys keep off each other. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, sounds good. Okay. Apparently, virginity was really important in the 
in the marriages of dignitaries back then. In fact, Virginia is named after the virginity of one of the queens back then. So Mm -hmm. there is a a small celebration, like a mask celebration to celebrate their marriage. Mm -hmm. And some gods show up, Iris, Ceres, and Juno. Wait, really? Like yeah. they show up. Okay. They show up That's and apparently cool. at the behest of Prospero. Wow. Okay. So either these are spirits who are pretending to be the gods or they are the gods themselves and Prospero is able to command them. Wow. Which I have comments about later. So that, that that's kind of important to remember is that they are there at the behest of Prospero. Pr- then in the middle of it, Prospero remembers that Caliban is trying to murder him and he's like, oh. ah, crap, I got to deal with that. So, all right, no more, no more of this celebration. Everybody right. go on. I'll I have to deal with this stuff. And then those guys, Trinculo, Stefano, and Caliban, they enter from the briars and swamps and they are soaked head to toe. They have lost their booze, which they call an infinite loss. Mm. (laughs) Just Mm. a crushing, a crushing blow. And they're like, okay, we got to go get this guy. Show us where he is. And Caliban's like, all right, let's go. So they they kind of head into the house, but there's all of these fine clothes hung on a line. Mm. And I think if you were viewing the play, they would just sort of be across the stage. And... Trinculo and Stefano are like, ooh, oh, this is a nice jacket. And he's like, oh, here, you can have this. And they start, they start stealing the clothes. And Caliban is like, guys, pay attention. We ha- he's a wizard. We right. have to kill the wizard first. You'll get all the clothes you want after we do it. And he's like, shut up. Help us steal these. And so they start handing him clothes to run off with. Oh, that's good. And then, of course, Prospero knows all of this is happening right. and has Ariel show up with a whole bunch of spirits as a fake hunting party to chase them out of his his rooms in their stolen clothes. Like, oh, they are in perfect. his stolen finery. They run howling off into the woods, and they're right. like, ha, what a bunch of idiots. Um, and then that's the end of Act 4. It's, it's one scene with Prospero and this weird mask. We're up to Act 5. Uh, Prospero begins Act 5, and this is where all of the action kind of comes to a close. He says, once this is all done... I'm going to swear off magic. I'll be done with wow. it. Okay. I will crack my staff. I will take my book and sink it to the bottom of the ocean. I will be done. No more wizarding for me. This is my last hurrah. Okay. Um, the boys show up, right? The, the king, his brother, everybody. And he freezes them with a spell and basically says, here you are. You are in my power. And I am the Duke of Milan. And they're like, nah, I don't even know if you're real. There's a lot of weird stuff on this island. Like, he's like, no, nah, I'm flesh and blood. He goes and he hugs Gonzalo so Gonzalo can know. And then he changes his clothes so mm. he looks like, because he's been in his wizard oh, robe. Right. He changes clothes to look like the Duke of Milan. And they're like, oh man, that's the real deal. And he says, okay. Aside, he goes up and walks to Antonio and Sebastian and says, I know about your plot on the king and I will tell him. So you shut your mouth. And and you're you like, I have you. And he kind of rules them by blackmail, right. which is strange. And then he has a moment of commiseration with the king and says, I have lost my daughter too in this storm. And the king is like, oh, that sucks. Both of them are dead. And he's like, well, lost in a different right. way. And then reveals Miranda and Ferdinand who right. are playing at chess. Ah, and that's pretty good. It's awfully sweet. Yeah. And then they're like, ah, they're alive. And the all of the boatmen roll up, all of the sailors. And they're like, hey, king. Our boat's ready to go. Like it's looking, I don't know how it happened, but the whole thing is tip top <laughs> ship shape. All the holes are plugged and it's, it's ready to sail. Mm-hmm. Um, Caliban and his buddies show up again and Caliban realizes his error. And he's like, I'm just going to be pinched to death. And all of them have been hounded with cramps and all of these things that Ariel has been giving on them. And they are sort of ushered off and Prospero forgives the king. Mm. He says, I forgive you, and we are not going to mar today's occasion, the occasion of a wedding, 
with remembrances of horrible things past. I am real. You are here. Our kids are getting married, which basically seals his re-entrance into power, right? right? His daughter will be eventually the queen. And he basically requires his dukedom back from good old Antonio, who is under his power now for having conspired against the king, and says, let's go in. I will tell you all the stories of my how I came to be here and how I've lived these last 12 years on the island. And man, we're going to spend a good night doing stories and then we'll head out of here. And then I will send my daughter off to be betrothed. And every third thought of mine will be towards the grave. I will Hmm. basically head into doddering adulthood. And then he ends the play with this fairly famous epilogue. And he addresses the audience. Now my charms are all o'erthrown, and what strength I have's mine own, which is most faint now, tis true. I must be be here confined by you or sent to Naples. Let me not, since I have my dukedom got and pardoned the deceiver, dwell in this bare island by your spell, but release me from my bands with the help of your good hands. Gentle breath of yours my sails must fill or else my project fails, which was to please. Now I want spirits to enforce art to enchant, and my ending is despair unless I be relieved by prayer, which pierces so that it assaults mercy itself and frees all faults. As you from crimes would pardoned be, let your indulgence set me free. And he says that to the audience? He says that to the audience. Hmm. Okay, and that's the end of the play. So take a second, let it percolate, but then your thoughts. What, What do you think so far? I mean, that last little thing is interesting because all of us, you know, all of a sudden it's the magic and enchantments of Prospero has has something to do with being a storyteller or being a weaver of 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 the action. I don't know. That's an, um, it, it's something similar that happens at the end of Midsummer Night's Dream with Puck saying, if we shadows have offended, think but this and all is mended. Exactly. That you were just sleeping here while this happened. Uh, so there's something about like, and I think this is common in Shakespeare that the the act of going to a play and watching the play happen is magic, mm-hmm. magical. Um, okay, so you can sort of bracket that idea. The other idea that I've sort of heard was that Prospero doing magic on the island was somehow a not a dereliction of duty, but it was definitely like he's left the real world to go into a world of basically his own creation. And it's great, but at some point he realizes that the good ending is to actually be in the real world and do your responsibilities. There, there's that part of it as well. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so how do you, then how do you tie that to the idea? So is like Shakespeare saying, you know, don't be a playwright? No. Is Shakespeare saying like, don't, don't live in worlds of your own creation, like actually go do real stuff? I don't know. Oops. As far as the, the meaning, I think, I've, I've been thinking a lot about it. Like what is the, exactly the theme of this play? And there's, there are obvious themes, right? There's all, also, there, there's obviously the theme of forgiveness mm-hmm. and mercy mm-hmm. Prospero had them all in his power, not only on the island, but magically as well. At any moment, he could have sunk their boat. He could have killed Ferdinand. He could have killed the king. He could have done all of those things and taken all the power for himself. But what did he want to do instead? He wanted them to know. He wanted them to know and he brought union. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is that the evil people are not fully pardoned. 
Mm-hmm. Like they, the people who are in their nature evil, right? His brother, Antonio, the king's brother, Sebastian and Caliban remain evil, mm-hmm. but he still retains control of them somehow. Like good wins out, even though they remain what they are. He, and when he addresses his brother, he says to call you my brother would foul even my mouth. Like just the name of brother is not even good for me to speak to you. Mm. But I know about the whole king plot. So shut your, shut your hole. So there's, there's those little bits. So, precluding, uh, as a prelude to our conversation about the meaning of this, I want to give a couple more bits of information. One, where they think this might have come from. Oh. They think it's Genesis was probably a German tale called Dishon Sedea, which means the beauty of Sedea. Ah, I guess. And let me read you the plot, and you can decide if he heisted it from here. So, Ludolf, having been vanquished by his rival and with his daughter Sedia, driven into a forest, rebukes her for complaining of their change of fortune and then summons his spirit Runesifal to learn from him his future destiny and prospects of revenge. Runesifal, who is like Ariel, somewhat moody, announces to Ludolf that his, the son of his enemy will shortly become his prisoner. After a comic episode, most probably introduced by the German, we see Prince Ludegast with his son Engelbrecht and the counselors hunting in the same forest when Engelbrecht and his companion Famulus, having separated from the associates, are suddenly encountered by Ludolf and his daughter. On his commanding them to yield themselves prisoners, they refuse. But on attempting to draw their swords, Ludolf renders them powerless by the touch of his magical wand and gives the prince over to Sedia to carry logs of wood for her and to obey her commands in all respects. There you go. The resemblance between the German and English plays is continued in a later part of the former production when Sedia, moved by pity for the labors of Engelbrecht in carrying logs, exclaims she would feel great joy if he would prove faithful to me and take me in wedlock, which comes about. So it's, it's mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. similar, right? Down to Sounds you like know, the prince drawing the sword and the moving of the logs and all that stuff. Right. Okay, so that's where it may have come from. There, there are a lot of different takes you could take on this play. I told you about that little speech of Gonzalo's about how he would run this mm-hmm. Commonwealth if he had it. Does that right. did that have any effect on you? Just that, like, so you know, um, is that something also that Prospero thought when he came to the island and at the end realizes because he's he's been working to either. To, to make this happen. I don't know. It sounds like he's, he created the storm to get the boat there to, to sort of put this, this plan into action. Um, I guess so then the, the question is, why not just stay on the island? Why go back to Milan? Why, why give up magic at the end of the play? Because um, Gonz- Gonzalo, I mean, kind of gets charmed by the idea of the utopia. He gets charmed by the idea of, hey, we can give up. Because he says, we can do this and we don't need to have, like, legal documents. And we don't need to have any sort of names, all these, like, bureaucratic things. Jobs. Yeah, we don't. And he's just, we don't need to do all that boring stuff. We can right. just, like, be on this island and and I can rule this place myself. And Veg they, out and eat coconuts. It'll yeah. Be great. Sort of that, like, you know, the dream of retirement. Sure. <laughs> right? And. Um, what does it mean that it literally requires magic for them to live there, right? Yeah. And, like, that, and what does it also mean that Prospero realizes at the end he should, le- he should leave it? He wants to be freed. And then what? also ask the audience to do it for him. He needs to go back to the real world. So I don't know. There's, there's like, um, yeah. 
I was going to say that maybe there's it's like a story of the midlife crisis where you sort of leave all your responsibilities behind, mm. but it's not because Prospero was ousted from power. But he was ousted from power because he never really took it seriously. He was up in the tower reading reading magic books, books all reading magic books all day. And that's the thing. I wondered if it was a good ousting. He wasn't taking care of his people. Yeah. I understand why his brother did what he did, why Antonio took power. Maybe and maybe this is why then he's not completely you know, beheaded at the end of the story or whatever. Um, he was a little derelict of duty. So is this like a, is this a growing up story where Prospero kind of realizes what it means to be a man? You can't just be a magician in a tower. Um, I don't know. All right. So an, an, another extra bit of information to kind of color your thought process. Color away. He, one of the greatest prized possessions in the British Museum is one of Shakespeare's own books. It's got his little name in it and it was a folio, it was a, a folio of Florio Montaigne's essays, mm. and one of them is on the cannibals. And what? I think it was that the they had been doing some exploring. I think this is recently discovered New World territory. And okay. so he, at one point, he's talking about how the cannibals live, live, and he says, It is a nation, would I answer Plato, that hath no kind of traffic, no knowledge of letters, no intelligence of numbers, no name of magistrate, nor of politics superiority, no use of service or riches or poverty, no contracts, no successions, no dividends, no occupation but idle, no respect of kindred but common, no apparel but natural, no manuring of lands, no use of wine, corn, or metal. The every the very words that import lying, falsehood, treason, dissimulation, covetousness, envy, detraction, and pardon were never heard of amongst them. That is Montaigne's description of the cannibal. The cannibals. <laughs> Yeah, but this is this is that, um, Does that sort of renaissance that moves into eventually the romantic idea that of the noble savage and yes. that they don't have problems. And the only reason we have problems is because we've got like complicated laws. And if we just went back got to nature, we'd be happy. I don't know if Shakespeare has sympathy with that view. Uh, it's it's almost word for word what Gonzalo said. But Gonzalo's also a fool. <laughs> and they leave the island in the end. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's yeah. That's the other thing is that he's he it's quickly pointed out to Gonzalo that he is still trying to rule this thing right. as magistrate, even though there's supposedly mm-hmm. no government. And I, I got thinking like, that's exactly what Prospero is doing. Prospero mm-hmm. has this Island that Gonzalo is talking about. Right. None of those things are known, right? There's no corn. There's no, everything is natural. It's all there. Most of it's gotten by Caliban and yet Prospero still rules. Mm-hmm. And I think it's partially his magic that allows him to do that, right? If you try to rule with no government like that, you are a tyrant and you have to affect all laws by yourself. And it's the magic that allows Prospero to do this. And even the two creatures that serve him, he keeps one captive by threats and the other captive by a... Well, one, I mean, honestly, of, one good act that he did back in the day. Yeah, right? but yeah, it's by, still kind of by threats. Yeah, he yeah. says, if you don't keep on serving me, Ariel, I'll put you right back in an oak tree and you'll stay there for another 12 years. How about that? And right. Ariel's like, whoa, whoa, all right, I'll do what you want. Just, you know, remember you said to free me. Does he get free at the end? Ariel does get free. Yay. That's good. Yeah, he's he's true to his word and says, be free, Ariel. And I think he even adds like, come and see me every now and again. That's good. Which is so sweet. Mm-hmm. What happens to Caliban at the end? He he says he'll serve dutifully, sort of realizes the error of his ways. Basically, he's just trying to avoid punishment. Okay. He, he actually, I think one of the lines is, I shall be pinched to death because he knows that he is just, that's, that's always the threat of him, that he'll have little pinches and cramps and. It's funny. I'm just trying to, because again, like Calvin's pres- presence on this island shows that it's not idyllic. It's not like they're still like in, it's evil the right word. He sounds more like mischievous than anything, but yeah. I guess he also talks about killing Prospero. So that's not great. Yeah. The first thing that kind of jumped out to me as a possibility here was a. 
but an analogy of Eden, right? Sure. There's Gonzalo talks about his his perfect society, and this is the perfect society here, and it's basically run by somebody at the top, i.e., a god, Prospero, who affects everything via magic and seems to have absolute incontrovertible power can summon the gods right can literally summon the gods and that's why that played in is i was like who who has the ability to summon juno herself except from someone who is ranked above her right right and so prospero must in this play be the gods and eventually he leaves he does go back to society and this is why a lot of people think that this book especially with caliban there is a commentary on colonialism Hmm. that that the real original inhabitants of the island, Ariel and Caliban, are the two different ways that people react to colonialism. Either you react as a Caliban and you hate the people who have come and colonized, mm-hmm. or you react as an Ariel and you think that the best the best tack is to negotiate and accept mm-hmm. and kind of figure out a way around the colonizers. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit of a hard time accepting that as, I mean, that's, that's apparently a lot of the criticism leans in that direction, especially because some of those descriptions come from books about travels in the West Indies. They think that Caliban was taken from a book about traveling in the West Indies. And then they think that, you know, there's that stuff from Montaigne about the cannibals. They think Caliban, right? Cannibal, kind of, kind of close. And that they're the different reactions to, to being colonized, except that, they weren't original inhabitants either. Yeah, I guess there were no original inhabitants, right? right? Caliban came as With the spawn of a witch, witch right? only a few years prior, right? Yeah. And and Ariel, I think, may it's kind of unclear where they came from, but I think it might have, might have come with the witch as well. Okay. Yeah, that seems a little more of a stretch um, to paint it as that kind of, that it's like a, yeah, that the Shakespeare's making some sort of comment on the colonizing of other lands. Mainly just because like the the heyday of coloniz- of colonization and from Europe outwards hasn't even hit at, in you know the 1620s. Right, and uh, you know you would think that like Caliban is a little bit noble. They they point out that Caliban is at least a little bit more focused and and worthy than the two doofuses who drink a ton. Yeah, they yeah. can't seem to get a, a thought to stay in their heads. But Caliban's also not. Great. He promises right. to lick the boots of the drunkards. Like yeah. he's he's not a noble savage by any stretch. And Ariel is seen, I don't know, as kind of a, a happy, airy spirit that mm. is just working for his freedom. I find it hard to stomach the this is a commentary on colonialism. So what do you think is happening? Is it more about this kind of again, Garden of Eden, is that the better analogy for what's happening here? Like what yeah, what's what's happening in this play? I don't know. That's why I was trying to suss out. I think it might eventually be a one of those one of those things that we have a hard time accepting here in the modern era and that's that there is a correct place for people right prospero isn't supposed to be here magic is not what he's supposed to be doing he is supposed to be duke of milan and when he was and i'm coming up with some of this on the spot here i've done some thinking but i'm not sure i totally have it nailed down he was derelict in his duties as Mm -hmm. duke and then when he got to the island like he had all the magic he wanted but not what he really wanted, which was his dukedom and to take care of his daughter and be back in society. And so I don't know. The The king is where he should be. The brother is taken out of the usurped dukedom. There's all of that, those themes of like people trying to take positions that aren't theirs, including Caliban and those those two drunkards who are trying to do things. And so like there is a nature for everyone. Caliban cannot controvert his nature. Uh, Medea or uh, Miranda is... 
sweet and innocent and wonderful and full of virtue and stays there. Ferdinand, it turns out, is a virtuous prince and totally deserves to be where he is. The king quickly asks for forgiveness for the things that he's done and is forgiven, right? And so I think there's something to be said for everyone has their appropriate place and that that is a good thing. And also something to be said for the doctrine of unity over vengeance. Prospero could have done some very different things to these boys. Could have hurt them. He could have turned them into cats. He could have, he could have honestly murdered all of them in the storm. Right. Would have been totally fine. And then gone back and taken his kingdom that way. But he didn't. His way to to fix things was with marriage. And so if this is a Garden of Eden kind of thing, it's a commentary on how God goes about things. He could have taken vengeance. He didn't take vengeance. Right. The people that were evil were put in their place, and the people that were good were preserved. And he he sort of lifted everybody up rather than putting them down, even though he had absolute power. Well, uh, why does Prospero want to be a wizard in the first place? Does he talk about it? I don't think so. He's okay. just interested. He just loves his books. When he was ousted from his dukedom, he took some books that he, quote, valued higher than his dukedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is something interesting there about um, Prospero creating an environment wherein, like, people can be revealed for what they are, right? Like, that Antonio can know, um, who's the treacherous, who's the treacherous king, the duke? So Sebastian, yeah, Sebastian. Is, the, is, the, yeah, Sebastian. is the king's brother, and yes, he's right. a dirtbag. And Antonio is the usurping duke yeah. who encourages Sebastian to commit treason. Against, what's the king? Alonzo. The Alonzo. Alonzo the king. So like Alonzo can know, can sort of be revealed the nature of his brother. And so but there's, yeah, and then, so Prospero sort of creating an environment where redemption can happen. And then, yeah, and then it all is also comes together in a marriage. Um they're playing chess. That's kind of cute. It's really, it's really um, cute. And the, yeah, I just, I, I, I just find the, 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 the rejection of magic at the end to kind of, and it like a, a reestablishment of order, right? And, yeah. And society, even, mm-hmm. even in the playing of chess, they could have been doing anything, having a feast, but it was, it's the giving up of a power that mm-hmm. maybe you shouldn't have had in the first place. Right. So the yeah. magic is unnatural, right? Yeah. And he puts himself back into the human order. He, if he's throwing away the books, breaking the staff, he's no, he no longer has power over the gods. Mm-hmm. He's now mm-hmm. beneath them again, mm-hmm. like he was originally. And he hands that to the audience at the very end and says, you, you can foil my plans here. I've given you the power to either keep me here or let me go. And obviously they, you know, the audience has lunch to get to or whatever. And so they're going to let him go. But I, I feel like almost with, with a tragedy, there is the catharsis that comes from watching someone have a, have a bad time. Mm-hmm. And you go back to your life. That's good. In this, there's also the the feeling of re-entering reality after you leave the playhouse, mm-hmm. and and he he almost seems to make it a good thing. I want to leave here. I want to go back to the Naples real world. and Milan. The world I want of, to like go. legal contracts and uh, you know boring. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, and I have I'm leaving my magic. And if if this the putting on a play is is magic, like you have a world to get back to too. And I want I want to go there. Mm-hmm. And so it almost makes it seem like your audience might too. Right, a place of unreality is hard to to stay in, and I think that's what everybody in the play is feeling: is that they ne- they never know really what's real or why they're falling asleep or where sounds are coming from, and man, that's a scary place to live. That's why you should log off, put your screens away. Ah, is that the connection? <laughs> oh my word! I was wondering if there's anything also to it was just pro- I, I understand the two uh, Caliban and Ariel were there too, but. 
Prospero living with Miranda on that island isn't a life for Miranda, right? She must be bored out of her mind, especially if she's falling asleep when her dad talks. Yeah. So there's something there, too, of wanting to... Uh, maybe. I don't know if they reference that as a reason. Because uh, Prospero, so. Prospero wants to get Miranda married, right? That's one of his goals. So he wants. he's trying to take care of his daughter. It, I mean, this is the one thing he can't affect by magic is their feelings. Right. And it, everything goes off without out. a hitch. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it works out for me. He's like, yes, nice. <laughs> you know. Is there any tension in this play because you have your main character prospero your main character has like is all powerful kind of everything happens the way he wants it to like yeah. just reading it is it is, is it interesting to read he i think he at times doesn't know if it's all he's like i have to do this i have to do it it's it's clear that things could not may not go off totally as he wants okay right those boys didn't have to conspire against the king he right. didn't make them do that he just gave them an opportunity Right. Everything kind of had to go right for it all to come down to that last moment where everyone kind of meets on the hilltop. But it's a very simple plot. Right. Wreck the ship. Everybody kind of splits up. Have my little spirit go and mess with them as they walk towards me. And then at the very end, I'll what? reveal myself. Yeah. I'm the Duke. Right. Not a lot happened. There was no assassinations. There was no moving armies. There's no, you know, dangerous moments. No real sword fights. Like nothing. Nothing happens. <laughs> I know that's a great... I was going to say, is it a glowing review? Of, glowing review of this. <laughs> Tempest, yeah. Hmm. I'm also always a little afraid of making more of something than it is. As a comedy, right, the point is to please the audience. Even Prospero says he that. Says that My goal end. was to please, yep. right, to have you enjoy yourself. And Caliban and his buddies are there partially for comic relief. I'm always, a, I'm always afraid of trying to pull too much out of something that wasn't meant for that, right? The, the Garden of Eden thing and Gonzalo bringing up the, the life that is idyllic seems too obvious to let go but i don't know i mean gonzalo's he's he's like voicing a desire that a lot of people a lot of us have at some point why can't i just you know peace out and go live in the woods can i be done with it yeah 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 and but i also um, still want to be in charge of things (laughs) right yeah so there's something there with yeah with that sort of voicing of that desire and then a rejection of that, like Go- Prospero has it, and then a rejection of that at the end, saying we got you know, gotta leave the theater at some point. Yeah, and hmm. and Caliban does live the life of the savage, right? He's the one who knows where all the good stuff is, and he's the one who moves the logs and gets the food for Prospero and Miranda. But he clearly doesn't seem to be enjoying himself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so there is a the real world is the good world kind of feel to this. But um, but not because there's still there's no place like home maybe. But even him leaving, he's go, he's leaving with the usurper and the guy who almost killed his dad to become the king of. I'm getting all my places mixed. Naples, on. king of Naples, the king of Naples. So like, there's still. It's not neither neither world is perfect, but for some reason the real world is better than the um, the remote outdoors. I don't know, or the world that you have kind of complete control over yes yeah it's like yeah um you know it's don't complete live control the, but it's empty don't live in the holodeck that kind of thing right <laughs> sure no i mean it's, it's it's that kind of analogy it's like um reject the brain in a vat right hmm? the, the brain in a vat yeah or, yeah, yeah. Or the, the know, philosophy experiment. leave the matrix yeah. yes <laughs> even yeah. if it will be worse yeah does prospero does yes he, yes prospero ever say that it'll be worse that it'll be harder no, okay. he he seems all a joy to be back to his regular life and to let his daughter grow up and to be thinking of his own death and his own grave and even says like my power is going to be less. Sure. 
I'm, I am giving up all of the power I have here. But there is something, it is notable or interesting that for a comedy, something that has such a happy ending, right. one of the aspects of the happy ending is like facing reality and yeah. no longer getting, no longer playing, living on Fantasy Island, but actually like seeing the world, like going back and engaging in the world for what it actually is. Yeah. Not living in a, a, in a, a spell of your own creation, even one that you can perfectly control all the outcomes. But even if, because even when you're controlling all the outcomes, you still have people that you are like enslaving, right? He still has, yes. like no one's enslaved to the Duke in Naples. Yep. But, the only, but they are when he's on the island, so. Yeah, he has to affect his rule by wizardry and threat, yeah. not by mm-hmm. just natural position, which is what he wants to get back to. Hmm. I don't know. I just really like the idea of affecting your revenge by marriage. Right. He could have done it in so many other ways, but his his whole plan was get my kid married and forgive the people who did this to me with a little black, bit of blackmail. Marriage is the best revenge. <laughs> there, there, there's the t-shirt. Yeah. That, that's the t-shirt idea for this episode. That's awesome. Great. All right. How are we doing on time? Did I did I speed us up too fast? Yeah, five more minutes if you want it. But ah, yeah. nah. Let's let's call it. We'll let our listeners go early today. Sure. Cool. It's summer. <laughs> Well, you have been listening to Classical Stuff You Should Know with Graham, AJ, and Thomas. Um, uh, if you are worried at home, we have we actually have not been in a teapot. Oh, thank um, you. This just entire in case time. there yep. was some some confusion, yeah. we have young listeners with fertile imaginations. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> we have been in a teapot, but now it's under your power yes. to let us go from yes, the teapot, release us, and um, return to regular life. Yeah, you by. Um, by hitting double speed or hitting pause <laughs> or whatever, you can get have us go back to the real world. Um, you can find us at classicalstuff.net. You can tweet at us at classicalstuff, C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff on Twitter. You can find us on Patreon and be, and you can patronize us and listen to the in-between episodes as well as a monthly Ask Us Anything episode and uh, there's some other goodies in there. And you can email us at theguysatclassicalstuff.net. And we like... Planning on returning emails. <laughs> no, we return emails. Uh, we enjoy uh, the feeling of having good intentions towards right. our email box. Yes. Um, uh, no, we, we try to get through all of them, although there is a little bit of a backlog these days. Yes. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Ciao. Bye. Bye.